This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. And today we are going to continue to jumpstart your thinking. With Jumpstart Your Thinking by John C. Maxwell. We've done a few installments of this already in the past, and we are way behind. (laughs) (laughs) It's been several weeks since our last Jumpstart, so I think we're due for another kick. The last one it looks like we did was um, Jumpstart Your Thinking, numbers 8 through 18. 8 through 18. That was on January 18th, 2018. And then the following week, what did we do? On the road to Palm Springs Winter Break. Then the week after that was Palm Springs Winter Break 2018 Reflections. And then, oh, interesting. Apparently the week after that, I didn't upload whatever it was we did, but I can almost guarantee that it wasn't jump-starting our thinking. Oh, look at that. She turned right to it. Okay. Well, let's see if that looks at all familiar. We have... Oh, yeah. This looks good. Day 19, I am still learning. Michelangelo. Do you want to master the process of good thinking? Then I recommend that you expose yourself to good input and good thinkers. Good thinkers always prime the pump for ideas. They always look for things to get the thinking process started. Read books, review trade magazines, listen to audiobooks and podcasts, engage in programs, watch videos, and spend time with good thinkers. And when something intrigues you, whether it's someone else's idea or the seed of an idea that you've come up with yourself, put it in writing and keep it somewhere in your favorite thinking place to stimulate your thinking. My favorite place to keep ideas that need reflection is a half-sheet-sized portfolio that I keep with me. It's my thinking companion. Next, I recommend that you... Choose to think good thoughts. You must become intentional about the thinking process. Regularly put yourself in the right place to think. Shape, stretch, and land your thoughts. Make it a priority. Set up a thinking schedule and method of your own. No matter what you choose to do, go to your thinking place. Take paper and pen and make sure you capture your ideas in writing. Remember, thinking is a discipline. To what good input, magazines, books, audio programs, or videos, are you regularly exposing yourself to and challenging yourself as a thinker? List them. Well, I know a couple that you've been doing lately, uh, so I'll definitely let you save those. Um, Other than really just talking with you and a few other people and just kind of spitballing ideas. Um, I just generally will Google search things when an idea comes up and I want to find out more about it or something to that extent. Um, I know last night specifically, 
I spent several hours scrolling through step sheets. Um, uh, I know last night I was using Copper Knob's website, but I was going to uh, see about who else is out there. I know um, I was definitely going to scroll through uh, Rachel's website pretty soon here and get some ideas. One of the things that I know I admired you for using and have now found a way to implement it myself is a line dance binder. And I have categories where I have like step sheets in there and then I have my choreography area. I have a place for all my notes. I have a place for the events that are coming up. Anytime I have an idea, I can jot that down there and I bring it to all the line dance events that I go in. Well, I guess I shouldn't say events. The local line dance events that I go to, I bring it with me. It's in my car almost all the time. Um, I also use the Keep app on my phone when I don't have immediate access to the binder and I'll jot down notes. I also message you frequently with random thoughts and ideas and what do you think about this and it's nice having someone that you can uh, throw ideas out to and see if they can build on them or even question them in a way that requires you to question more and come up with more solutions or more ideas but uh, yeah I do listen to podcasts that are not line dance podcast and you may be thinking what why would anyone listen to podcasts other than line dance podcast well there are a couple other good ones out there I have my podcast app pocket cast up in front of me and taking a look at some of my subscriptions I have switched on pop and in switched on pop the two hosts discuss what makes pop music interesting or popular uh, and what its roots are and why certain concepts keep coming up in pop music history and I find that there are many parallels to dance and pop dances that make it to the line dance world. Uh, in fact, we went at length, at length, uh, in our discussion of Lonely Drum in this past year and mentioned everything from you know, the music to the steps uh, to the context of that dance coming out at a time when there weren't a lot of other big country hits happening. Uh, and Switched On Pop does the same for mostly pop music. Uh, let's see, we've got the Tim Ferriss Show. I know we both listen to that one. Uh, he has long-form interviews with people that have achieved some measure of success. And he said he started the show as a way of asking these people questions that he just wanted the answers to. And he thought, might as well just record them. That way other people can benefit as well. And that's pretty much how Line Dance Podcast started as well. I was listening to episode after episode of, of Tim Ferriss' show and thought, you know, there's nothing like that for Line Dance. There should be, because I've got all these questions. I want to bug all these people, so having uh, a recorder in my hand gives me more of a reason than I just want to bug you for 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, so we've got the psychology of video games. They talk about... Things like addiction and uh, violence and uh, whether games can make you smarter, what it is in our brain that 
that games can sort of trigger or tickle that makes us keep coming back to them. And I think about dance in a similar way. What is it about certain dances that feels almost addictive? Like you just, as soon as it's over, you want to do it again versus others that just are kind of, you know, leave you with an unsatisfying feeling like certain games, you know, you can play it, but then afterwards it's like, did I even have fun? Uh, was that a game or was that work? Uh, they also talk about how to gamify certain activities so that you incentivize yourself to do things. And sometimes you can turn the chore aspects of a lesson into a game if you approach it in a creative manner so that the things that you, know, you have to do anyway, like reps, you know, we have to do it three times on this side so people get it into their muscle memory. You can still make that fun. It's not like, well, here's number one of three. And we have four walls, so this is really one of 12. No, it's like, okay, so new wall, you know, fresh start. We can forget all that stuff we did on the other wall because we're probably going to anyway. Wall amnesia. Um, yeah, gamifying. Gamifying is uh, definitely something to, to look for in the Psychology of Video Games podcast. 99% Invisible, where they talk about the design of everyday things, things you might not notice. And... They, they dig into how they got to be that way, why they were created in such a manner. And I think it started out with uh, architecture because they, they have a history of, um, of architecture within their staff. And it just kind of spread eventually to other forms of design, like flags, what makes a good flag design. Uh, one of the things they mentioned was keeping it simple so that like a child could draw it if they had to. And making it visible and identifiable from a long distance away, like if you were to see a ship raise up a flag of some country, you'd want to know immediately, oh, it's such and such country. Whereas if you have a big complicated seal and a whole bunch of words, you have no idea where they're from. You know, you just see a bunch of squiggles. Um, so, you know, again, this kind of can tie in with dance because you think what makes for a good dance that a lot of people will enjoy. And there's a quote that's like, uh, things should be made as, as simple as possible, but no simpler. And I think that was Einstein or somebody, um, with a dance, you want to be able to generally sketch out in your mind what the shape of the dance is. And I know we were recently looking at some dances and it's like, I don't, know what that looks like. I couldn't describe that easily. Whereas if you're looking at uh, like Swingin' Thing by Joe Thompson Zemanski, you walk forward, you walk back, you walk forward, you walk back, you go to the right, you go back to the left, and you start over. So the shape of that is an L. Uh, K is for kicks. You've got you know the things that happen just where you are in place. Then you have a K step, so it's the shape of a K. And then when you turn to your left and you step out to the right and you step out to the left, again, it's the upper, like the vertical part of the letter K. So you know the shape of that dance. Lonely drum, um, you know, you're going forward, you turn, you go to the right, you go forward, you turn, and you go in the other direction. So it's kind of like an upside-down letter T, uh, if you're looking at it from the front wall, so or or maybe an uppercase L, uh, when you get in all, all these weird directions, you, it's hard to see it in your mind, and that's where like the design of it uh, comes into play. As you know, brilliant full circle uh, to 99% invisible, as they discuss in that podcast. Uh, why are things designed the way that they are? How can we make design more intuitive for people so that they are more comfortable with using things like doors? 
simplest thing. When you're creating a door that uh, you want to push to, to exit from, you put a horizontal bar because people think, oh, I should push on that bar and then I'll get out. If you want a door to very quickly signal to you, I want to pull this, you put a handle so that your hand has somewhere to go and then you pull it open. If you put the handle on both sides, then people are going to try to pull it from both sides and one of those ways is going to be wrong and they're going to be confused and upset. And why make people upset if you don't have to? Just design properly or design in a way that uh, they can understand quickly. Next, we have how I built this and... How I Built This talks about uh, different businesses or products or services that people have started and how they came to be, what their um, journey was like. Very many of these people um, attribute a good portion of their success to luck um, because they started out with you know, humble beginnings, either at a job that they eventually left or without a job looking for ideas. And I find this to be um, a very heartening sort of podcast because you hear about how not easy it can be as you are doing what it is that you want to do and the sorts of creative resourceful solutions these people had to the inevitable problems that come up when you are working hard towards something that's never been done before. And that's the how I built that uh, how I built this podcast with Guy Raz on NPR. Uh, let's see, we've got Planet Money, which I've only started listening to recently, and it's sort of similar to Ninety Nine Percent Invisible in that they dig deeper into things that you might not notice. Uh, this mostly involves, uh, you know, the world of money and economics, uh, mostly economics. Uh, there is a series, a, a, a small like four episode series they did on a satellite that they launched. Yeah, the uh, the podcast themselves, they talked about what does it take to adopt a satellite or you know buy one outright and then send it up in space. And then once it's up there, what do you do with it? Like how do you make money just having a thing that's floating around? And they talk about all the different ways that you can do that. And I thought, oh yeah, line dance in space. Yeah. We, we, could, we could find a way to make that work. Any longtime listeners of the show will know. I want to make this a reality. Line dance in space. Line dance on the moon. Line dance everywhere. Uh, and then, of course, we also have Dance Like Everyone's Watching by Andrea Mulbauer. There was a time when I was fully caught up on every episode, and now I'm a little bit behind, I think, uh, November, December, January, February. That's what I need to catch up on. But before that, I had listened to every episode up to it looks like episode number 63 she talks about uh, dance and she comes at it from more of a contemporary background um, sort of a performance dance field so there's some overlap with line dance but sometimes you have to get creative with it she interviews people every week and uh, some of the titles include like influence and inspiration with guest da 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 don't get stuck in a box with guests. Da, da, da. If it's not there, make it. The effect of movement, sharing experiences, progressing and opening. Be your own number one supporter. Don't get complacent. Creating a story. Be unapologetically you. Engaging through dance. The art of aerial dance. Conquering fear. Creating conversation. Don't stay stagnant. Achieving dreams. Don't fit in. Figure it out. And the science of dance. 
That is Dance Like Everyone's Watching by Andrea Mulbauer, based out of Denver, Colorado. A very enthusiastic host. I recommend listening to at least one of those episodes and seeing if it's for you. And also, with only three episodes so far, we have the Leftovers podcast with Tessa, Jerky, and Katie at leftoverspodcast.com. And that's hosted by Jeremy McGuigan or Gwigan. It's M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N who DJ is at Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, Nevada. Might be Reno, might be Sparks, one of those two. They're neighboring cities, I think. Um, yeah, he has a podcast where he talks about all manner of things and... They just recently added a new host. Uh, the logo or the graphic for their podcast is, because it's leftovers, they have a Chinese food box with the pictures of um, Jeremy and I think Tessa on there, and then Katie is on a bottle of ranch dressing. Yeah, so that's all the podcasts that I listen to. Uh, I've also been listening to the Da Vinci audiobook recently by Walter Isaacson, who's the same guy who did the biography on... Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs. So yeah, there's the uh, Da Vinci biography. I think I have more credits for Audible that I need to cash in. I'm not sure what else I would get. No, I do. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Magazines. Oh. <laughs> uh, we just did the math, and it looks like I have something like 200 and what was it? 234. 234. I think it was 234 because I was thinking one, two, three, four. Very musical, very dance. I have 234 um, issues of Line Dancer magazine to catch up on. And I think I've actually read a couple, but I'm still going to count them as rereads. So 234 of the back issues of Line Dancer magazine that uh, that I'm going to want to like buy a tablet for just so I can read them. I read, I read uh, an article with Joe Thompson, Zemanski, before she was Zemanski in uh, 1998, just yesterday. I thought that one was interesting. That one was the one that I uh, I sent part of to you because I said that it reminded me of you, the way she talked about her first love being teaching as opposed to like choreography and all the other things that go into line dance. Um, she's very, very much committed to the, the role of instructor. So let's see what else we had. Magazines, books, books. What have I been reading lately? Ikigai. Ikigai. I-K-I-G-A-I. I've been reading that recently, and that is on um, the Japanese concept of like having a purpose and living for your purpose and figuring out how to do that and how having a purpose makes you live longer because the some of the oldest or longest living folks in the world have something that they wake up for every day, some kind of vegetable garden that they contend, a social group that they check in with, you know, close family relationships. And I was thinking about the line dance world, of course, and how when you feel like there is this purpose uh, to what it is that you're doing, it makes you want to do better at it and do it for longer. And all of these other healthy things like eating vegetables and all that stuff, it goes into it and doesn't seem like a chore or like a thing that you're just doing because you should do it, but because it will help you be better at your purpose. And as I've mentioned in probably the last two or three episodes, what we figured out, at least for me, is that I like this idea that if there's some dance that someone wants to do, I want to ensure that they have a chance to do it, whether it's 
me learning it so that I can jump out there and like wall lead or wall help uh, for you know, a couple walls till they get it back into their system or full on instructing a lesson or DJing so that they have the music that they need because they might not know what song goes to it. They just know the dance or creating an event because their area doesn't have any local events where they can do these dances. Whatever it is, I want to be sure that people are able to do the dances that they want to do. And if also as a choreographer, if there's a song that they like and they want to dance something to it, then maybe that's an opportunity to either help them choreograph, uh, choreograph to it or create a dance on your own and say, well, give this a try. What do you think? You know, does this feel like the best fit for the music? Or being a pollinator and just saying, hey, here's this person that I know and they've got a, a dance that they like to this song. Would you want to learn theirs? And that's where going through like you did yesterday and scrolling and scrolling through all the dances in improver existence on copper knob. Yeah, except I only made it to page 255 out of 505. So I still have half of the, the improver section to look through. Yeah, that's where, you know, that doesn't feel like work or a chore. It makes us better at our purpose and it makes us more effective. We can get more done that we really love and care about. So yeah, that's that book, Ikigai. Um, let's see, there's another one here that I got from the library. It says, this will change everything, ideas that will shape the future. And then also on the stack, I've got What If by Randall Monroe, the artist behind um, XKCD, the webcomic. Teach Yourself Java, 8th edition. <laughs> I think I looked at that. Uh, the day I checked it out and maybe the day after that and I have yet to go back to it but it'll happen at some point whether or not I I apply much uh, during this renewal cycle of the books um, it, it'll eventually happen I'll, I'll get back into that one uh, let's see was there anything else that might have been all the major ones that I've been like actively looking at recently book wise magazines books audio programs and videos videos mostly YouTube uh, just yesterday I rewatched Dr. Horrible's sing along blog and um, Pleasantville. It's a movie. I, I like I, that. I was thinking more along the lines of Doris's website. Oh, my lordy. I highly recommend that everyone take a look at dorisvolts.com, D O R I S V O L Z.com, and read some of the old posts from her visits to different events. That is how we recently discovered dances like Cannibal Stomp and yeah. Hurricane. Hurricane, yes. And, uh, I mean, Cannibal Stomp was described to us, but it was also uh, by Doug Miranda, but it was also on the site. Prairie Strut, we had seen at various local events, uh, but it was you know, mentioned there as well. And she talks about what events were like back then and what was popular back then. And it really makes you reflect on just like how much history there is in line dance and how the thing that they'll, they'll talk about in passing, like, Oh, well, everyone knows this is the hot dance right now. You're like I've never heard of that dance. I've never seen it. I don't think there is a video in existence online but it was the big thing. And then you, you, you think about your own life and and what you're learning and what you're seeing being taught right now and how 20 years from now, because some of these posts are 20, 25 years old, um, 
20, 20 years from now, who knows what's still going to be done. And then as a choreographer, it makes you think, gosh, like I don't want my stuff to just be totally disposable. You know, I want it, I want it to be enjoyed years from now. So how can I really not cor- not cut corners and put out like the best that I can put out? Something that people will really enjoy and have fun with or something that will evoke an emotion that's timeless. Like faith and desire. I feel like people are going to be dancing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And as an instructor, you also you know reflect on how few opportunities compared to like all the dances that exist you have to impart some dance to your class and then who knows where they're going to go from there so you want each lesson to count and be a good one so how do you choose how do you know what dances they're going to get the most value from and you know looking back at some of these old reports on dorisfoltz.com um, you can see what it was that people loved about those dances that people still like today. Like I definitely in my first couple of competitions did, I wouldn't say weird for weird's sake, but I, d- I had this sense that like, well, nobody's ever done this kind of thing before. So I'll do that. But I didn't really think why I was doing that. Like, yeah, it was new and different, but maybe that's because it wasn't a very good idea and that's why everyone else stayed away from it. And that's why you shift weight on this part or you catch the weight and do something else. Like you, you have a lot to reflect on when you have all of line dance history in front of you. Also videos, you know, we've been watching a lot of videos of, uh, older dances, a lot of Darren, a lot of Rachel, um, old, older events. Was that a couple Guyton? couple of Guyton. And that's kind of given us some th- some thoughts and ideas for the future. I'm, I'm glad that these videos exist in a way that we can easily access. That's a lot for day 19. Day 20. <clears throat> this is a quote from Eddie Rickenbacker. I can give you a six-word formula for success. Think things through, then follow through. To master the process of good thinking, I also recommend that you act on your good thoughts, because many ideas have a short shelf life. You must follow through on them before the expiration date. For some people, the greatest challenge to becoming a good thinker is the past hurts or current worries that prevent them from spending productive time thinking. To start the thinking process, you cannot wait until you feel like thinking to do it. However, I've found that once you engage in the process of good thinking, you can use your emotions to feed the process and create mental momentum. After you go through the disciplined process of thinking and enjoy some success, savor the moment and try riding the mental energy of that success. It's likely to spur additional productive ideas. Finally, repeat the process. One good thought does not make a good life. The people who have one good thought and try to write it for an entire career often end up unhappy or destitute. Success comes to those who have an entire mountain of gold that they continually mine, not those who find one nugget and try to live on it. I immediately think of Rachel. She is a mountain of gold. Anyway, what steps will you take today to cultivate the habit of giving birth to, nurturing, and developing great thoughts every day? Schedule those steps and follow through. 
I find it interesting that this comes up, considering just two nights ago I was talking with our friend uh, Jackie Patino about how we have all these good ideas and we are very, very excited about all these different ideas and yet we don't do anything about these ideas. We just kind of have them and be like, oh yeah, that'd be really fun or oh yeah, that'd be really cool or oh, I should do that. Next. And then leave it at that. Follow through is probably the hardest process, I'd say, with the good thinking and the planning and that kind of stuff is to take it and put it into action, um, which is nice because I think that you and I have both have had these kind of ideas in the past and never done anything with them, but having someone to help hold yourself accountable and question you in a way be like, okay, this is where I'm at. Line dance in space. How do we make this happen? And you constantly revisit the topic makes it so that it's constantly being thought about and discussed and trying to come up with new ideas. I know that we've talked about a couple different things that we're in the process of working on. Um, I know that we've had several different discussions about potentially starting a class during the summer versus traveling versus competing and making, um, for instance, like Facebook events about certain things and flyers, getting out to more events in the public in which we can promote more line dance in the area. And we've started looking into what we need to do to make this happen, which is nice. Um, some of them were still lollygagging around, I'll be honest, but we are slowly making progress on certain things. I know for me, I had talked about, with Jackie anyways, about how I was putting off dances that I was passionate about and I was excited to learn um, because there was other dances that intrigued me or I wanted to learn uh, that you wanted to too so we might as well get those out of the way first uh, so that you know we're both we're both learning something at the same time and it's something we can dance to but then I just kind of noticed that the ones that I was really really excited about just kept kind of getting pushed and pushed and pushed and then I kind of started feeling down about like my learning because of the fact that I was like, okay, hey, well, yeah, no, I've learned that one. Oh, yeah, and I learned that one. Yeah, and that, that was a good dance. I really enjoyed that one. But it wasn't like the, yes, finally I got that dance feeling, that satisfaction. So a couple days ago, I had finally went like, you know what? No, I need to learn at least two that are on my personal list that we don't share. And so I finally took out the step sheet and I started going through it bit by bit and struggling with it and trying to figure it out. I even had you help me in one part of one of them. And from there on, I was like, no, no, I'm going to get this. And then afterwards, it felt so much better because I had finally taken something that I had thought about for quite some time and put it into action and got a result. So it's really important to take that time to take one of those crazy ideas that you think you have and just do it. So, 
steps that we'll take today to cultivate the habit of giving birth to, nurturing, and developing great thoughts every day. I definitely agree with what they're saying about an expiration date because I remember one of the things that started this portion of the podcast, which originally was just interviews, was I had this gigantic list of thoughts or ideas that I had for Lion Dance, and I would just type them into a little Google Keep file, and then that would get full, and I'd have to put it into a Google Docs file, and then it would just end up like a four-column, size six font page of little black squiggles, and then I'd have like eight to ten pages of these, at least. And we were just going down the line, discussing each of these thoughts, and then mostly not doing a whole lot with them, but just putting them out there because otherwise they would be completely wasted. Like what if the page burned up and I lost the file and nothing ever came of it? Then what was the point other than just you know having the thought and being like, oh, that's an enjoyable thought. Think of how many of these ideas we've had for, say, Mavericks, which closed in 2015 and it's now 2018 any of those ideas maybe could be applied to a future dance venue or a a dance venue that is nearby but it can never be used for mavericks because that time passed if we didn't act on it if the owners didn't act on it too late so now we have these ideas about what we could do in our area or what we could do to promote some class that you know, could use a little love. And if we don't do something about it and the class ends, it gets canceled or something, then what good was the thought other than to tell us, all right, next time you see this opportunity to like help out in some way, don't procrastinate. <laughs> uh, help that class if you couldn't help the previous one. We have a lot of these for everything, like for DJing, for event hosting, for teaching, for choreographing, for just dance technique on our own. How are how how are we able to uh, enjoy electric slide more? Think about what we're isolating. Uh, think about foot positions. Think about balance. Think about carriage. All those things. All just for electric slide. And it's fine to have it as a, a, a hypothetical thought, but it's so much more useful to you when you do something with it, even if badly, even if the first time you try to act on one of these thoughts, it's like clumsy and awkward. And people are like, wow, what were you thinking? Like, was that a good thought? Like, yeah, no, it was fine. I'm glad that I at least got to see what it would be like executed. Because if you think about it for six months and you think, oh, it's going to be amazing. And then you finally try it. Like, you know, when you're choreographing in your car and then you step outside and do it on your feet, you're like, wow, I was really dwelling on that. I thought that was going to be great. It feels awkward. It feels terrible. Let's start over. But you don't get the chance to start over and try something new in its place until you test the thought. If you just think the whole dance and think that you're done and then put out the step sheet and then dance it, then you're going to have a mess on your hands. And it's only by trying these thoughts that you get something that will eventually work. But I completely avoided the uh, question, which was, what steps will I take today to cultivate the habit? So you know what? I think just working on this book right now is helping something. Well, there's that. You also printed out step sheets. True. And we did start to plan our lesson for tonight in advance, which is so much better than what we normally do. 
We're normally a very last minute kind of planners. Be like, oh, this one looks good. Mm-hmm. So uh, having the plan for tonight ahead of a time, I think that's that's a good sign. In addition to having backup dances, because yep. usually we we just end up with show up, have maybe a couple ideas, and then who's out there? Oh, it's a bunch of beginners. Uh, all right, well we'll fall back on these because we've done them before. But now we have we have new. Hopefully we can teach these dances as well as new backup dances. So they're going to hopefully have a good time either way. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's a step that we could take today. Definitely. Yeah. You like it? Yeah. <laughs> Since we've already taken the step. Yeah. And we kind of ate food. We, we had, totally ate before. Yes. That nurtures our thoughts. And we rested. Yes. So I, I think we're doing pretty good for today. Yeah. We even started on time. We did. Hot dog. <laughs> Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Day 21. Where success is concerned, people are not measured in inches or pounds or college degrees or family background. They are measured by the size of their thinking. David J. Schwartz. If you want to be successful, one thinking skill you need to acquire is the wisdom of big picture thinking. Real estate developer Donald Trump quipped, You have to think anyway, so why not think big? Big picture thinking brings wholeness and maturity to a person's thinking. It brings perspective. It's like making the frame of a picture larger. In the process, expanding not only what you can see, but also what you are able to do. Big picture thinkers are never satisfied with what they already know. They are lifelong learners, always visiting new places, reading new books, meeting new people, learning new skills. And because of that practice, they are often able to connect the unconnected. To help me maintain a learner's attitude, I spend a few moments every morning reviewing my calendar and to-do list and noting where I am most likely to learn something. Then I mentally cue myself to look attentively for something that will improve me in that situation. If you desire to keep learning, examine every day and look for opportunities to learn. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being narrow and 10 being expansive, how do you rate as a big picture thinker? Do you see the whole picture, or are you more likely to focus on just one aspect? What will you work at today to become a better big picture thinker? Okay, so clearly, line dancing in space isn't big enough. We should be line dancing in multiple dimensions. Scale of 1 to 10, how are you? Concerned. <laughs> no. Um, while you were reading the little, I guess, excerpt going through it, before you got to the question of the day the one thing that I thought of was go to more dance events because it says travel more meet new people kind of situation. <laughs> so I definitely know that I have grown a lot as a person and as a dancer because I've gone to more dance events and I've met more people and I've become part of this bigger family, this bigger picture that, I have absolutely considered myself blessed to be a part of. Um, (laughs) And so there's that. 
As for whether or not I'm a big picture thinker or a small picture thinker, I think I'd like to say I, I'm a pretty good balance of both because I do know that it is the little things that get you to the bigger picture, but you have to have an idea of the bigger picture before you can take your first couple steps. Like, I know that I want to be involved in line dance. I know that I love it and it's brought me so much joy and passion and a thirst for living that I want to be as involved as I can. I have discovered that I absolutely am addicted to teaching. I love being there when people discover new dances and I love being there when people learn new steps and I love being a part of their journey in that way of helping them to, you know, just grab onto a new concept and go further and push themselves. Uh, I had such a blast last night specifically I did a review of Madison Glover's boots at Light Dance Club and two of our members weren't there when I taught it last week. And so they just jumped into the review. They picked it up and it was amazing and inspiring to me knowing that they've only been doing this for a year and where they've come as dancers. I've been able to see their journey and their growth to be a part of that was so cool. It was so awesome to see them be able to jump in, try it, fight for it, and nail it by the end. So that was definitely a fun feeling. So I love the idea of being part of that journey for someone else. And so what I need to do is take the smaller steps to be a better teacher, a better instructor, find those dances that people are going to love figure out how to break them down so people understand them so that they can make that kind of progress. So I'd, I'd like to say I'm a pretty balanced in the big picture and the small picture, but we can get sidetracked from both, I think, if we're not careful. I'm going to give myself an eight and a half. Oh, you're nice. I didn't even give myself a number. Yeah. Um... I think if there is a gap that I still have yet to bridge, because they're talking about connecting the unconnected. And like we've looked at a lot of things from like from the self and getting your technique down, your form, your expressiveness, uh, your feeling of control in your body, comfort with your body, all the things that are just yourself. And then trying to share that with others by instructing and replicating um what you know the dance to be for them so that they can recreate it in their bodies and then taking the things that you've learned from other people's dances and like generalizing and saying okay so they they applied these kinds of concepts and principles and instincts and feelings toward this song using these movements what can i do with movements in my body with this song and then you know you're looking at choreography and um, you know, in a space, how do you create an environment that people want to dance in? Uh, whether you know, as a DJ, cl- cr- uh, creating a playlist based on who's there, or as uh, the event host, 
who is running around and you know putting up decorations and sitting down next to people and saying, "Hey, how's how's your night going so far? Uh, you know, how's your weekend been? Is there anything you really want to dance tonight? Things like that." There are so many things that we've looked at already and tried to connect how all of these uh, pieces fit together. I guess one place that I'm still missing the bridge on is connecting the events to each other. Because I think we, we're all pretty, I mean, uh, as long as we... You know, are tuned in on Facebook and whatnot. We're we're pretty in touch with how an individual event goes based on people's report. They'll say, you know, we arrived at the hotel, it was great, you know, this, that, and the other thing happened. We had a nice brunch. We were up till dawn dancing. You know, several days later, my brain is fried and I'm on my way home. Can't wait till the next one. It's usually a report about one dance event. Even if they're talking about how their body felt and how the instruction was and how the choreography was clever and all that stuff, it usually stays within the realm of one event. We don't tend to see a lot of discussion about a month of events. Like, all right, here's my February roundup or whatever um, month it might be. This is what I experienced at this event, and it was kind of a contrast with this other event, which had a smaller feel, whereas the other one was huge. There were more classics at this one, and there were more contemporary dances at this one. Like We experience this all the time with Boots and Buckles playing a lot more of the newer dances, as well as Amy and Friends workshops. Um, and then you have the Quick Steppers, and you know what I would assume is similar at the Country Hustlers, uh, a lot more oldies and favorites from you know the last 20, 25 years. Uh, as well as the new ones sprinkled in. We don't even talk about, in a public setting, how that creates an overall feeling of line dance or like a concept of line dance in the area for yourself. We definitely have our reflections on individual events, but if you wanted to go even bigger picture thinking, you could say, okay, but how does Stoke on this weekend and the dances that came out there connect with like the crystal boot awards which is you know in the same region of the world and how does that also connect to our local workshops where they've picked up one or two of those advanced dances but no now we have to look at hot monk because they want beginner dances but then if you want to go even more beginner dances we've got dolly's class in the morning at the senior center as well as brookdale senior living and sunrise assisted living where we'll be teaching later today it all creates this overall feeling of of the dance world, but we very seldom talk about that bigger picture. Sometimes some dance will float through all of them, like I'm free. or Well, yeah, Lonely Drum has definitely made it into the majority of those. Um, but like even going from Brookdale to Dolly's to the beginner room at major events you'll see stuff like I'm free or I got a woman uh, or sometimes you know, eyes for you, you know, uh, or various other classic Joe dances. Rockin' the wagon wheel. It goes through everything. It goes through the country bars, the events, beginner rooms, uh, the beginner community center classes. And we're aware that it does this, but we don't really talk about why or the context in which that dance lives, or what elements make something like that able to travel all over line dance. 
So I think that's where my gap still is. That's why I wouldn't say I'm a 10 quite yet. Because I could go bigger picture. And then if you want to go nuts, like crazy bigger picture, but still within realistic limits, you've got soul line dancing and you've got whatever it is they're doing in Europe with like Spain, Italy, and France and oh, Germany and their sea of white hats that they still wear um, in like Catalan style, uh, rock and stomp and heel and heel and jump cross, you know, all, all the thumbs and buckles kinds of dancing that... Uh, I guess we kind of fell in love with with Broken Heart um, by Virginie Barjaud of the dance team Wanted. Um, that style is huge over there, and we never talk about that. It just is this other part of line dance that we know is line dance, and I still like and love and, and uh, comment on the posts I see on Facebook, but I, I'm, so, I'm so deprived of knowledge in that and the soul line dance world um, it's very little, there's very little I can actually intelligently say about any of it. So that's another place where I can go bigger picture, but it'll, it'll be uh, ahead of me in my dance journey as opposed to underfoot at the moment. So what do I plan to work on today to become a better picture, big picture thinker? Definitely, as you mentioned, the dances we'll be teaching tonight at our local, very local, probably only game in town for some people dance venue so that we can then think about teaching those dances elsewhere on a much grander stage and uh and seeing how those will relate whether it'll scale yes yeah yeah i know some of the ones we've been looking at specific in the last couple days we're trying to see what we can do to bring our own, well, I guess I can't say our own because we haven't quite choreographed that one yet, but bring another dance through all the different categories the way like Rock and the Wagon Wheel did. We're hoping to start at the beginner at Hot Monk and see if maybe it can't translate to some of the other bar venues that maybe it can't tra- transfer to some of the events Um, I do know that some of these have been at events in the past, so I'm hoping to bring some of them back as well. So that would be nice. Day 22. Many an object is not seen, though it falls within the range of our visual ray, because it does not come within the range of our intellectual ray. Henry David Thoreau. Big picture thinkers search for opportunities to broaden their experience by listening intentionally to others who have expertise in areas where they don't. When you find opportunities to meet with such people, bring an agenda and ask penetrating questions to enlarge your understanding and to know how to apply the answers to your life. Big picture thinkers also realize that other people bring a valuable perspective to situations that are different than their own, and they make an effort to see other people's worlds through their eyes. To see how others see, you must first find out how they think. Becoming a good listener helps with that. So does getting over your personal agenda and trying to take the other person's perspective. Becoming a big picture thinker can help you to live with wholeness. You expand your experience because you expand your world. As a result, you will accomplish more than narrow-minded people. 
and you will experience fewer unwanted surprises too, because you are more likely to see the many components involved in any given situation. Issues, people, relationships, timing, and values. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being poor and 10 being excellent, how do you rate as a listener? Take an opportunity today to listen intentionally to someone on your team or in your family without interrupting. Write down what you learned by listening carefully. It might be shooting a little high here, but if I was to rate myself, I think I'd say a solid 7.5. <laughs> I'm a really good listener, but I get very excited and I do interrupt. So when somebody really needs to talk, I will constantly remind myself to breathe and whatever I have to say doesn't matter because they need to talk. Um, and then when I say constantly, I'm thinking like over several, like a couple hour conversation that I have with friends. Um, I will say something along the lines of like, okay, I can understand or wow, I d I've been through something similar recently. I'm sorry you have to go through that. Tell me more kind of situation where it's like, I can relate. I'm listening to you. Um, so what you're saying isn't falling on deaf ears. I'm, I am paying attention. I'm engaged. My phone isn't on, you know, kind of situation. And you have my attention is really, really important for people to feel like they're being heard. Eye contact is crucial. Um, and I'd say for the most part, I'm pretty strong in those categories, but I can get very distracted. So that's why I'm giving myself a solid 7.5. I think for me, it depends on the context and what the intent of the conversation is. If it's one of those situations where a person has gone through something difficult and they are just talking, they're just venting, they want their side to be heard, then yes, I, I, I definitely am able to recognize that that is the intent and my role is then to listen if it is an exchange of ideas and the, the ideas are coming like rapid fire, then yeah, going back and forth, um, especially when you already know where the person's going with that train of thought and you're like, oh, so you're saying this. And then they're like, oh yeah, that, well, exactly. Yeah. So then you can move on faster and you can get to the next thought between the two of you um, and you know, getting to the exciting parts more quickly as opposed to you know, just sitting and hearing the whole thing. He's like, yeah, I, I knew you were going to say that, but all right. And then, you know, but time is short, you know, life, life is short and time is limited. And, um, the sooner you can agree, yes, we're on the same page. We both have this exciting thought the sooner you can act on it. So if I had to give myself a number, I think it would vary. I don't typically mistake one situation for the other. I usually am able to intuit which is at hand. Um, so when I'm in a situation where listening is what's necessary, I would say I'm around, like you, you were mentioning, you know, like a seven or an eight. And when it's okay to uh, to just 
shoot back and forth, then I'm like, what, a five? <laughs> because then it's okay to be a five. <laughs> I was going to say, you really like to drive your points in with analogies to make sure they are understood. And normally I get them by the first analogy, but I let you tell me your four or five different analogies just because I find them so intriguing to listen to because it's like how did you even connect that as an example but I understand it perfectly kind of situation so yeah and I mean again the five the listening to you're you're thinking about what they're saying you're listening to it you're just interrupting faster day 23 also I'd like to make a note day 22 and we started at the beginning of the year, would have been January 22nd. Today, it is February 22nd. So, starting day 23, and not day 53, big thinking precedes great achievement. Wilfred Peterson. Intuitively, you probably recognize big picture thinking as beneficial. Few people want to be closed-minded. But just in case you're not completely convinced, consider these reasons why you should make the effort to become a better big-picture thinker. Big-picture thinking allows you to lead, to see and communicate the vision, size up situations, show how the future connects with the past, and seize opportune moments. Big-picture thinking keeps you on target to get the right things done. Big-picture thinking allows you to see what others see. Big picture thinking promotes teamwork. The better the grasp team members have of the big picture, the greater their potential to work as a team. Big picture thinking keeps you from being caught up in the mundane because you don't lose sight of the all-important overview. Big picture thinking helps you to chart uncharted territory. You must be able to look beyond the immediate and see the big picture. In what specific ways will you benefit the most from becoming a big-picture thinker? In what areas of your thinking do you need to work the hardest to expand your thinking? I might need some more time to think about that. Do you have anything yet? Well, I do like what they said about uh, the future and how it connects with the past. Okay. Because that's pretty much what we did at Line Dance Club this past Wednesday. In looking at the past and seeing what was fun for people back then, the people we teach have never seen these dances. So as far as they know, they're new for them. Why wouldn't these dances hit with them just as well as they did 25 years ago? So we taught them Cannibal Stomp and Cowboy, uh, cowboy Rhythm, After Midnight, and Hurricane, and they enjoyed them. In that way, it's sort of like line dance across multiple dimensions. When you are looking at the dimension of time, it's almost like, and I, I remember we've talked about having like a virtual class or something where you have the social with a 360 degree camera in the middle of the floor and people dancing around it. If you have a virtual reality viewer or like a Google Cardboard type headset or an Oculus Rift or something along those lines, people in theory would be able to watch from the perspective of this 360 
degree panoramic camera that's in the middle of the floor and they can feel like they're dancing with everybody else. If you do this live while an event is going on, you can feel like you're really there dancing with them at the same time. The only difference is your body isn't there, so they can't see you the way that you see them. But even that could be changed someday with some kind of robot stand and surrogate dancer or something. If you think about that, this idea that in one part of the world people are dancing and in another part of the world people are dancing the same dance at the same time to the same walls... In a way, by having the same track play 25 years across history, it's like we're dancing with them. It's like they left a little space on the floor for the people 25 years later to come join them. And in that way, you know, the future connects with the past. We're all dancing together at the same time. We're even dancing with ourselves when we first learned the dance as well as doing it today the way that we put their style on it now. It's like when we look at videos on YouTube of us doing the, like, have fun, go mad. There are probably at least four or five out there of us doing the same dance at different locations, but in our same bodies. So you could fill up a small floor with just us dancing with ourselves if we could clone ourselves across reality and across time. Uh, so when a song plays and people are dancing to it, it's like everyone in all of line dance history who ever has or ever will dance to that song with those steps. It's like we're all doing it right then. It's like there's only ever one song and we're always dancing to it and always have. Cosmic. I was thinking more... I guess along the lines of knowing where you came from helps you know where you're going. More of the past connects to the future, I guess, than the future connects to the past, although it's kind of the same concept. Um, Because I know where I want to go. I know what role I want to play. And I know I need to get there somehow so I've gone to people who have achieved those roles and have had the success that I similarly want and asked how they did it. How do I get there? How do I get to where you're at? What do I need to do? What do I need to work on? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to talk to? Um, and gotten advice that way. I also have sought the advice of people when it comes to personal style. I've spoken to people with um, experience as to like which dances they would recommend me teach as well as which dances should I learn? Which dances should we bring back kind of situation? What dances were fun? When you go to the people who were present, then you can keep the future positive and alive and moving forward and carry those kind of experiences and dances and morals and mottos and etiquette throughout time with you, especially seeing as you and I, fingers crossed, are as young as we are and get to do this for, you know, another 40 to 60 years. So... How old am I now? I'm going for 90. You're going for 90? I'm going for 90 more years. All right.
Yep. Did I answer the question? In what specific ways will I benefit the most from becoming a big picture thinker? I guess you can attend to everyone. When you consider yourself to be, let's say, just a DJ. You say, oh, I'm just a DJ. I'm not a choreographer. I, I've never put it together a dance. I don't know. I, I couldn't help anybody with that. Well, I've never taught a lesson. I've seen people teach lessons. I kind of know the steps, and maybe I could call them over the mic, but... I'm not I'm not an instructor and I can't put on an event, you know, I like when they pay me at events because, you know, I have a job that I do and I do it all right, but I I couldn't manage all those other people. You limit yourself from the people you could help when you don't know that you actually know more than you think you know. And I think that's one of the ways that I would benefit the most from becoming a big picture thinker is thinking that there's nothing I can't learn and there's nothing I can't practice. And once I feel confident that I can do any of these things within line dancing, any of the responsibilities uh, that need to be done, uh, then that's a huge chunk more people that I can help with you know, the extension of my purpose. I can make sure that they're all dancing something that they want. They're making friends. They're having fun. They're staying healthy, keeping the blood pumping and having a big picture view gives me the mobility to walk into any of those places like the booth or the registration, the DJ booth, the registration desk, the stage to teach a wall to wall lead and know that I'm ready for whatever it is that's needed. And then for the other half of this, in what areas of your thinking do you need to work the hardest to expand your thinking? That's a tougher question. Do you have an answer for that? Go ahead. I know if I step back a little bit more is I like the idea of being prepared, like you were saying, to be able to step into any role. Um, one of the things I like is being able to, as we've used the word, cross-pollinate dances so that if people from our line dance club decided that they were ready to go to an event, they will know a lot of the dances that are done at these events. But they also have the option of doing the more regional country bar style dances too. So it's not, so they're very balanced in that way where it's, they don't know just circuit dances or they don't know just the bar dances. They know a combination of both so that they could walk into either situation and be prepared, which I like the idea of being able to set them up for that kind of success. Um, as for the, where I could benefit from bigger picture thinking or how to improve it is when when push comes to shove breaking it down is having faith that my ideas could matter they could make a difference um a lot of times i'll chalk my ideas up to the idea of like yeah no no one's ready for that or that's that's a silly idea why would anybody want to do that kind of situation um having a little bit more confidence in that area would probably be more beneficial for myself. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of relates to what one of mine would be, which is expanding my thinking to include 
um, really believing that this is something that people want and are willing to pay a significant amount of money for if it's, say, like teaching at Google to build team building uh, rapport or something like that. Because, uh, you know, in theory and in, on paper, it sounds fine. But when have I called Google to ask if they would like to host one of these? I There's like this little part of me that seems, I don't know if it's like laziness or like a lack of true belief or something, but there's something that stops me or there's some reason why I haven't gone to like the California Academy of Sciences and be like, Hey, you got this huge space in the middle of the uh, museum and that'd make a great dance floor. Uh, we have some regional choreographers. You could say that, you know, local choreographers created these dances across all genres of music. What do you say on one of your dead nights when you're not doing anything else? Uh, would you want to have a bunch of people come in and you know pay whatever amount of money and, uh, you know, you can keep like 85% of it. Not that I would tell them that off the bat, but, you know, I would hope that somebody better at negotiation knows how to, to do that whole thing. Um, just because I, I feel like that would, that would reach a huge audience of people. And I feel like every audience of people is like this, um, that doesn't know that they would really enjoy this. They don't know what's waiting for them if they were to test it out and you know learn two dances that are pretty much like walking but with rhythm. So I guess to, to work the hardest to expand my thinking, I would really need to say, oh, you know, this actually came up recently with um, a friend of ours who had done a private lesson for somebody before and charged some amount of money and the person was asking him, hey, do you do private lessons? And he was thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. So he said that the amount that he charged now was a lot more. And the person was like, great, sounds good. Just tell me when and where. And he's like, well, shoot, I didn't think that was actually going to work. I thought that was going to scare him away. <laughs> so really, I mean, just giving yourself that experiential belief that yes, people do want this. Just make it available to them. Tell them that this is out there, and they some some percentage of them is actually going to be really into that. Tell them it's good for your health. Tell them it's good for you know developing new relationships with people that you otherwise wouldn't have met. Um, you know, it gets you out of the house. It gets you listening to music you might not be accustomed to, but you know, could expand your knowledge. Tell them those things, and if they want to you know, pay for that, then great. And if, if not, I mean, hopefully you have enough free time during your week and few enough bills that you can still share what you love with them, and um, everyone will have a good time. Day 24 of like 53. In order to properly understand the big picture, everyone should fear becoming mentally clouded and obsessed with one small section of truth. Jun Zi, spelled X-U-N-Z-I. If you desire to seek new opportunities and open new horizons, you need to add big picture thinking to your abilities. To become better able to see the big picture, don't strive for certainty. 
Big picture thinkers are comfortable with ambiguity. They don't try to force every observation or piece of data into pre-formulated mental cubbyholes. They think broadly and can juggle many seemingly contradictory thoughts in their minds. In the Five Temptations of a CEO, management consultant Patrick Lencioni warned that CEOs should not try to pursue harmony. Instead, they should embrace healthy, productive conflict. Nor should they aim for certainty. Instead, they should try to find clarity. To cultivate the ability to think big picture, you must get in the habit of bringing together complex and diverse concepts, accepting seemingly opposite points of view at the same time, and embracing what authors James Collins and Jerry Porras call the genius of the and in their book Built to Last. In business, for example, pursue purpose and profit, embrace core values and innovation. Be highly visionary and execute the details well. Think of a past problem or current project that you would like to improve through big picture thinking. Write what you see as the obvious solution for success. Then write an alternate solution that seems to contradict the first idea. How can you make these seemingly contradictory ideas work together? Honestly, this one's a little tough for me. I'm trying to draw up any kind of example. And I feel like if I had a solution to any other problems, I would have already tried to implement them. So I guess... I have an example if you'd like to chew on it. Go for it. All right. Say a new hit song comes out. You know it's going to be huge, and you want to choreograph to it. Somebody else has choreographed to it. You know who they are. You have a personal relationship with them. How is it okay in your mind to balance the seemingly contradictory ideas of, well, professional courtesy, you know, give their dance a chance, they saw it first, we want to support everyone in the line dance community... And also the idea of, well, the song doesn't really belong to anybody. I mean, I have some great ideas for this dance that I think are really going to hit. And their dance doesn't seem to hit the way that I would want it to or how I would want to move my body. So, you know what? It's a free-for-all. I think I have just as much right as anyone else. Those contradict. (laughs) So how do you make them both okay? Your personal feeling of self-expression and artistic enjoyment and immersion and indulgence, as well as courtesy and cross-promotion and allowing the other person you know, some breathing room for their dance so that if it really does have legs, other people will learn it. Or if not, then that's how you'll find out. What are your thoughts on this, this contradiction? Well, generally speaking, there's a couple, I guess, variables that I weigh in when deciding whether or not I wish to continue to explore or choreograph to the same song. One, how badly did I want to choreograph to it? Two, had I already started? Do I already have something? Um, Three, where is that person... um, 
in their journey versus mine and if I just didn't release mine and supported theirs, would that help them further? Or is it something where I feel along the lines of like, I'm so far behind that it doesn't really matter? Or do I keep it local? I mean, there's so many different variables. And to be fair, we have done a dance that other people have choreographed to, released it at pretty much the same time, not realizing it. And, you know, that happens. People pick which ones they're going to do it. I've walked away from several different songs because other people have started choreographing to it or have mentioned that they want to or they're planning to. And so I've been like, okay, I haven't even touched that song. I'm like, I fell in love with it. Yeah, sure. But I haven't even like phrased it out. So no, if they're already done with it, it's not worth me putting in the effort and, you know, stretching the market. Um, there are also ones that we knew while we were choreographing that somebody else had already, or had released theirs essentially before ours and decided to continue choreographing to it. However, we've also not released that dance yet. Um, we have competed with it and we will compete with it again. did pretty well with it in Florida or uh, Big Bang. Yeah. Big Bang. I think it took second place with the competition it was up against. So that was nice. Um, but again, it's one of those things where I like the idea of giving their dance room to breathe. Um, I also like the idea of making sure that I am 100% confident and want to stick with the choreography that is thus far before I release something. I want to make sure it's the best work I can put out, um, which I think is another reason why we've kind of held on to it because we feel like there's this one little piece missing and we're trying to solve that puzzle at the moment. Um, the other thing you can do is depending on if you find out you're both releasing something to it and it hasn't done something yet, you can talk about collaborating. Because if you haven't released anything yet, that means technically the two of you are open still to changing the dance in theory. So getting together might be a fun experience. It might be a very good learning experience. Another thing I've considered is even though we might have a, a dance to the same song, teaching some of their other choreography to songs that I really enjoy um, as well, just so that they know that you know we do support them as choreographers and instructors. Um, even though this one track we ended up both wanting to choreograph to. Um, I know people have in the past uh, reached out to one another, been like, hey, it's been about a year since you choreographed this dance. Um, I was curious how you felt about me choreographing like a different level to it, how you felt about that, just as a you know professional courtesy and just, you know, getting their input. Um, for me, for the most part, I don't, I prefer not to choreograph to something that I know already has like 10 dances to it. Um, I try really hard not to do that. Uh, even when I like look and see that there's one song by someone I'm not familiar with yet, I think about, well, what if I meet them 
at this next event, just randomly, then I'm going to feel guilty for choreographing over their stuff kind of situation. But I also look at it like if someone choreographed a dance to a song that, or to a song that I released a dance to technically before them, that just gives that song more play, which means both dances, potentially more options to be danced, which means more people are dancing. And that's what really matters to me as a choreographer. Yes, it is an amazing feeling. Absolutely wonderful when people are teaching your stuff and dancing your stuff, especially when they are raving about your stuff. Obviously, that is a good feeling. I'm not going to deny that at all. But my ultimate goal is to get as many people dancing as possible. And if they like my track or my dance, great. If they like somebody else's dance, great. I don't really care as long as they're out there having fun. Two things came up in my mind as you were um, as you were sharing your thoughts. Um, one, Dustin has a dance called Bubbly to the song Pink Champagne. And that's a great example of as long as people are requesting that the song be played, because they're all probably dancing Rachel's Pink Champagne, uh, he will still get a chance to do Bubbly in the back with the people who know it. So everybody wins. If Rachel's hadn't succeeded the way that it did and wasn't as widespreadly popular, uh, then nobody would be playing Pink Champagne, unless you know, people had learned Neville and Julie's instead. Uh, and then he wouldn't get to do Bubbly, and the other people wouldn't get to do Bubbly. So better, better to have the play happen even if the majority isn't doing your dance because at least some of you will get to do it. Like every time Stay plays by Zed featuring Alessia Cara... We're somewhere in the room doing Can't Walk Away, which is what they um, do in Southern California. Uh, they do Can't Walk Away sometimes to stay. We don't know Tick, Tick, Boom. A lot of other people know Tick, Tick, Boom. But there's only two of us. We don't take up a lot of space. So we just find some place where we can do Can't Walk Away, and you know, it hits really well. We like the way it feels, so we keep doing it. Uh, I'll come back to my other thing. Go ahead. And with that, occasionally one or two people, because they know Can't Walk Away, will jump in and enjoy the the song switch as well. And then the other thing that I was thinking I seem to have lost. <laughs> That's okay. That very seldom happens with me. I should have given myself a mental bookmark. Hmm. Well, I talked about co-choreography. True. I talked about journeys and where we are in comparison i talked about different levels um i talked about contacting people and discussing how they'd feel over if you choreographed oh relationships 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 thank you mm -hmm. it's like and we could probably do a whole episode on this it's like the dance is a person that people have a relationship with we have described um, the feeling that we have when one of us learns a dance before the other. And then it may sort of not really, but like kind of discourage the other person from wanting to learn it if we didn't learn it at the same time. Uh, if anybody has little ones out there, uh, go tell them play outside for a moment. But uh, when sometimes when people are in a couple, um, 
and you know Megan and I are dance partners that uh, that like to experience a lot of these dances together. When people are in a couple and they are feeling open to introducing new people into the couple, typically speaking, what you'll find is that they're okay with it as long as everybody is in the room together. Nothing's being hidden from either of the original you know partners. Uh, However, what brings up problems is if one of the two people goes off and meets their third on the side and doesn't share experiences or information about that with the other partner. That can bring on a lot of bitterness and, and you know mistrust and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it feels like a dance is or you know sometimes a song is this whole other entity and if you experience it together, then great. You know, nobody has like greater knowledge of that song or that dance or has like experiences that the other person can never have. Uh, if one person, you know, learns a dance first and the other person for whatever reason didn't learn it. And then this major event comes up and the, the song is played and a person gets to go out there who did learn it and dances it next to you know the choreographers and all these people and everyone's having a great time and the other person is watching just sitting on the sidelines cannot participate can't ever relive that experience that event that peak moment then yeah they can learn it and they can do it at their local social and maybe they can even do it at the next event but it'll never be something that they can experience the way that their partner did. So that can feel yucky and should be avoided if possible. Um, What you mentioned about choreographing on top of somebody else's um, dance is kind of, in my mind, what what it reminded me of was it's kind of like when you have to ask your buddy or whatever, hey, it's been a year since you and -and so-and-so broke up. We're kind of getting along well. I'm really interested and I'm thinking about starting my own relationship with them of some kind. I don't know if I'm even going to go through with it. I don't know. I mean, we'll just go out for coffee. I'll just, you know, choreograph the first date counts and we'll see how we feel. I might not even get to 32. It's probably not even going to be a 64. It's probably going to be like 60, 30, 32 beginner. No big deal. But I don't want to make you uncomfortable since you already have a dance to it. And I know that you felt very strongly about it at the time. If that feeling has changed, if you don't have that kind of attachment anymore, if you're ready for that that song to see other people, then, you know, uh, I would love the opportunity. But if that's too weird for you, if you don't want to see it with anyone else, then... You know, I'll, I'll respect your wishes. I can always. There's plenty of other songs in the sea. I can I can find some other some other way to you know fill my days and be happy. These are the analogies I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Day twenty five. <laughs> People fail forward to success. And this one reminds me of Donna Manning because it's by Mary Kay Ash, and she is a Mary Kay distributor down in Florida. See Donna Manning for any of your Mary Kay needs. I'm assuming this is the same Mary Kay as that Mary Kay in cosmetics. Mary Kay Ash, people fail forward to to success. To become a good thinker, better able to see the big picture, learn from every experience. Big picture thinkers broaden their outlook by striving to learn from every experience. They don't rest on their successes, they learn from them. 
More importantly, they learn from their failures. They can do that because they remain teachable. In my book, Failing Forward, I described a teachable spirit as an attitude, a mindset that says, no matter how much I know or think I know, I can learn from this situation. That kind of thinking can help you turn adversity into advantage. It can make you a winner even during the most difficult circumstances. Varied experiences, both positive and negative, help you see the big picture. The greater the experience or the greater the variety of experience and success, the more potential to learn you have. If you desire to be a big picture thinker, Get out there and try a lot of things. Take a lot of chances and take time to learn after every victory or defeat. Before I get into the prompt, I want to note here all of the quotes within quotes here. So this is me, Christopher Gonzalez, quoting John C. Maxwell. So he's saying in my book, Failing Forward, I described a teachable spirit as, quote, an attitude, a mindset that says, quote, no matter how much I know or think I know, I can learn from this situation. So that's a quote within his quote that he quotes from his book, and then I'm quoting him doing those quotes. Big picture thinking. At the end of today, review what you learned on this day, both positive and negative. Capture those thoughts in a pokeball, or writing, and file them so that you can retrieve and use them in the future. Make this a regular part of your daily routine. It does not say pokeball. No, it doesn't. I was just seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> so yes, review what you learned on this day, both positive and negative. Capture those thoughts in writing and file them so you can retrieve them and use them in the future. Make this a regular part of your daily routine. And as we already discussed, I have done this. And we have kind of used them, kind of pawned them off on other people to use. But it's still a good part of daily practice. Write your thoughts. Um, I certainly am a avid believer in journaling. I like to journal throughout the day, honestly. Because uh, sometimes it's just a matter of when you first wake up, it's a fresh day. You can write down like goals or aspirations or thoughts you might have because everything's fresh and new. Throughout the day, stuff happens. So you can mention those and you can kind of reflect on that. Uh, potentially, if it was a negative situation, changing it back into a positive because now you've vented. Um, but at the end of the night when I journal, I like to do more of a reflection. I tend to do the idea of like, okay, what few things did I really excel at today? What are the good things that I did? Uh, did I help anybody? Did I learn something new? Um, did anyone uh, give us a friendly shout out like Julie Lockton? Yeah, something like that. Um, something positive. But mostly it's more along the lines of um, things that I myself have personally done. So that when I look at the other side of the coin... I have something positive in my mind already. So it's not something that I'm going to beat myself up over in the sense of like, I totally butchered that teach. That was awful. Oh my gosh, I can't and just kind of dwell on the negative. Whereas I can say like, every teach was awesome. Now that one, I need to work on calling out better. I need to practice the timing 
or that's what happens when I try and teach something without the step sheet or that's what happens when I'm not prepared and I try and do something last minute. So how am I going to better it? Okay, next time I'm going to go over the step sheet a couple times before I teach it. I'm going to practice teach it a couple times before I go to the the place that I'm teaching. I'm going to decide in advance what I'm teaching. You know, and just kind of backtrack it that way to be like, okay, where's the smallest step that I can take to start that path? And, you know, it, sometimes it just comes down to finding the dance you're going to teach in this, for instance. Um, and then going from there. Because as I've learned recently, if you practice things enough in theory and you give yourself enough time to, for repetitions, most dancers can get just about any dance, even if they're absolute beginners. It's just a matter of practice and repetition and understanding what's going on. Um, so if you have to break down a coaster step, you have to break down a coaster step. You do it a couple times. If you have to break down a jazz box, you do it a couple times. After that, it becomes more of a muscle thing and you just keep saying, okay, jazz box, cross, back, side, together, cross, back, side, together, jazz box, okay? And you kind of like just reiterate, this is a jazz box. And people are able to understand so that when you're then calling it out quickly, people go, oh, jazz box, okay, I know what that is. You know, so I've learned in the experience of teaching that you can teach just about anybody any kind of dance. It's just a matter how long it's going to take and how many repetitions they're going to need. Some people, they only need one or two. Other people need like five or six and that's okay. It's different for everyone. But if I'm prepared for the five or six, it makes the one or two a whole lot easier. So it's more along the lines of thinking about how I can better myself as opposed to really reflect on what I did wrong at the end of the day and move forward from there. Um, it's very much not healthy to dwell and beat yourself up because we're all human and we all make mistakes. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I do quote as many different things on my Facebook as I do. Um, one of my favorites recently is don't be afraid to be a beginner. Um, I'm very nervous and very scared and very excited to start. Well, I guess start to further my journey of solo line dance competition. It's been a long time since I've been a beginner dancer. I've been a beginner teacher recently. I've been, uh, you know, a beginner host recently. Um, but it's been a while since I've begin, been a beginner dancer. So I'm very much looking forward to this journey again because I think the best thing you can do is push yourself back into that beginner box as many times as possible because it's just going to make you a more well-rounded individual. Well said. Day 26. Also, I should note, We've made it through, in the last hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes about, one week of this book. So let's see how much we can blast through in 20 minutes. Maybe we can make it to another week. Day 26. To know the road ahead, 
Ask those coming back. Chinese proverb. Big picture thinkers learn from their experiences, but also from experiences they don't have. That is, they gain insight from a variety of people. From customers, employees, colleagues, and leaders. My friend Kevin Myers meets with a group of younger men to mentor them and answer their questions and share their, his experiences. Every once in a while, Kevin also meets me for lunch, armed with questions he wants to ask me. Does he do it because I'm more intelligent or talented than he is? No, I just have 15 years more experience than he does, and he benefits from the lessons I've learned. If you desire to broaden your thinking and see more of the big picture, seek out counselors to help you. But be wise in whom you ask for advice. Gaining insight from a variety of people doesn't mean stopping anyone and everyone in hallways and grocery store lines and asking what they think about a given subject. Be selective. Talk to people who know and care about you, who know their field, and who bring experience deeper and broader than your own. Take the same issue, problem, or project you considered on day 24 to a good big-picture thinker who can give you insight on it. Formulate the questions you want to ask in advance and write them down before you meet. I already did it. I talked to Joe. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like I, I did definitely talk, touch on this subject earlier. Um, I look at people who have been or are where I want to be and I ask them how to get there, how they did it. And I try and figure out from their lessons and their advice and their input how I can then translate that into my own journey. Well said. Uh, yeah, I've pretty much done it with the podcast. Anytime I have questions, I just set up an interview. <laughs> Day 27. A small man is made up of small thoughts. Victor Hugo. If you want to be a big-picture thinker, you will have to go against the flow of the world. Society wants to keep people in boxes. Most people are married mentally to the status quo. They want what was, not what can be. They seek safety and simple answers. To think big-picture, you need to give yourself permission to go a different way, to break new ground, to find new worlds to conquer. Space. And when your world does get bigger, you need to celebrate. Never forget there is more out there in the world than what you've experienced. I grew up in a household where we believed anything was possible, and we celebrated the big picture. So it flabbergasted me when I had my first major experience with minds unalterably closed. It happened in 1969, when I took my first pastorate in rural Indiana. NASA was about to put a man on the moon for the first time in history, and I realized... Some members of the church did not believe it was really happening. How important it is to keep learning, growing, and looking at the big picture. If you desire to be a good thinker, that's what you need to do. What area of your thinking do you need to break out of the box that others would impose on you? Write a declaration giving yourself the permission to go a different way from the status quo space. space no i was not gonna say space this is um sounds a little bit too close to home right now um and i know recently like i said i like to post quotes was the not everybody will understand your journey it's okay it's not meant for them um it's hard 
to deal with the idea that someone might not accept your passion and your excitement and what you love to do when they're very, very close to you. It is very difficult to deal with that. Um, but the one advice I can give you, and it's hard because again, like I said, I'm going through it currently, is follow the passion. Because when you sacrifice the passion for the person, you start to regret and you start to resent and it hurts and it stinks to walk away from something that brings you so much love and joy and excitement and passion for life. And you have to understand that this, if this truly is your passion, the people in the same field as you, the people who under, who share that same passion with you will accept you and will think that your choice was normal and why would you do anything else? And they will be there to help you through it and have open arms for you. So believe me when I say not everyone will understand your journey. But follow through anyways. It's kind of like the relationship thing again, where when you're in love with someone and people tell you, oh, you can't you can't make these choices based on your feelings because I don't think that your feelings are right. You should feel differently. You say, yeah, you clearly don't know what this feels like if you think it's that easy. And maybe someday they'll come around. Maybe someday they'll have a relationship or a passion or an experience that feels like what you are feeling and then they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was in that position that you were in how many years ago and I made the choice for the passion thing and now I get why you did that. And sorry, I gave you a hard time. Maybe they'll never come around. Maybe they'll never experience that and they'll just have this lump of coal in their heart. But if if they do come around, you will know that you made the right choice. They will eventually know that as well and then you can just romp in the sunshine together. What area of my thinking do I need to break out of the box that others... I, I'm too fast. People can't catch me under a box. <laughs> I keep throwing them and I just keep running. But if you can throw higher, you're probably five feet off the ground. That's true. That's possible. <laughs> you two guys are fast. You have liftoff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my declaration giving myself the permission. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Day 28. To be able to concentrate for a considerable time is essential to difficult achievement. Bertrand Russell. Are you looking at my phone with I, all the sparkles? I'm looking at your phone with the sparkles. It floats around you and, and like the, the particles, they swim in, in this little water inside the case. <laughs> so yes, to be able to concentrate for a considerable time is essential to difficult achievement. Bertrand Russell. If you want to be successful, another thinking skill you need is to unleash the potential of focused thinking. Because it can do several things for you. Focused thinking can bring energy and power to almost anything. Whether you're learning to develop a good curveball or to refine a manufacturing process. The greater the difficulty of a problem or issue, the more focused time is necessary to solve it. 
Focused thinking also gives ideas time to develop. Try to be exhaustive in your thinking in order to generate as many ideas as possible. Then shift to being selective, like we have with dances recently. Focused thinking brings clarity to the target or goal by removing distractions and mental clutter so you can concentrate on an issue. That's crucial, because if you don't know what the target is, how will you ever hit it? Focused thinking will take you to the next level. No one achieves greatness by becoming a generalist. You don't own a skill by diluting your attention to its development. No matter whether your goal is to sharpen your business plan, develop your subordinates, or solve personal problems, you need to focus. On a scale of 1 to 10. With 1 being very scattered and 10 being very focused. How well do you focus your thinking? What is that lack of focus costing you? I'm going to say it varies on the subject and what I'm trying to achieve. Because when it comes to studying for school, as of late, I'm like a 9 or a 10. Other things, I'm more like a two. <laughs> Was that a squirrel? <laughs> exactly. Um, I it, again, it depends on the circumstances. If it's a friend who needs my ear, they have my focus, they have my attention. If it's you know something where I'm like trying to accomplish a difficult task, I'll allow myself that real hardcore focus. Um, I, sometimes I focus so hard that I lose everything else and it's frustrating and I have to take a step back because I'm trying too hard at that point. There are other times, i.e. my wonderful sparkly phone case, and there's a reason I bought the phone case is because I like to get distracted and play with the sparklies and just focus on those for a little bit and kind of let everything else wash away so that then I have more room in my brain. Um, I'm very much a multitasker. Like I will listen to music while cleaning my room, while trying to do laundry, while trying to cook something. Um, so that is very split focused. But at the same time, I'm getting all, all of that done at the same time. Um, because I also know that if I was to just do... Like if I was to just cook, I would then sit down and then I'd eat and then I wouldn't get anything else done because then I would be distracted and want to like look on Facebook or figure out what my next dance is that I'm going to learn and I won't do my laundry and I won't clean my room. <laughs> um, the music helps me to stay moving because when music's playing, generally speaking, I don't want to be sitting. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've certainly learned. I'm can be extremely focused and determined and get a lot done i can also very much be squirrel very much so i would say also depending i can be like a four or maybe like a high eight to almost nine depending what it is i can go 10 if i'm just like zenned out and i'm you know leaning on a balcony and looking at stars or something but uh, or you know if, if I'm just you know focusing on a candle flame and, and watching the the flame go and you know things can come and go and in my mind and that's all right you know I'm still just looking at that flame the four that I'm thinking of is like 
a little partial credit focus where I can go on YouTube and watch some clip from a movie and watch, really watch that clip. And then I'll think, okay, what's next? All right, so here's another clip from that same movie. And then I'll watch that from whenever else in the film it is. And then I'll watch another one and I'll really focus on each individual one. I'm not thinking about other things. I'm not remembering, you know, all the chores I have or whatever. I'm focusing on each clip. Am I watching the whole movie? No. No. At the time, I'm watching clips. It doesn't occur to me until much later, wow, I watched almost the whole movie in clips. (laughs) Out of sequence. Out of sequence. (laughs) It's rare that I will want to say, okay, I have two hours ahead of me. I'm going to sit and watch the beginning of this film, and I will continue to watch it all the way to its end, and I will be happy with the process. With the clips, I can leave any time I want. And I'll still end up spending probably longer than those two hours because then after I've exhausted everything YouTube is recommending to me, I'll be like, oh, you know what? I haven't seen Ocean's Eleven in a while. That's a really cool scene that they're recommending. I'll watch those clips too. And then I'll have watched like three movies in clips out of sequence, very focused on each movie as I was watching it. But I won't watch the movies. Day 29. We might even make it to 30. Set priorities for your goals. A major part of successful living lies in the ability to put first things first. Indeed, the reason most major goals are not achieved is that we spend our time doing second things first. Robert J. McCain. Be selective, not exhaustive, in your focused thinking. I could have sworn they just said to be exhaustive. They changed their mind. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Maybe I wasn't having focused thinking. Back to the passage. Be selective, not exhaustive in your focused thinking. First, take into account your priorities for yourself, for your family, and your team. There are many ways to determine priorities. If you know yourself well, begin by focusing on your strengths, the things that make the best use of your skills and God-given talents. You might also focus on what brings the highest return and reward. Do what you enjoy most and do best. You could use the 80-20 rule. Give 80% of your effort to the top 20% most important activities. Another way is to focus on exceptional opportunities that promise a huge return. It comes down to this. Give your attention to the areas that bear fruit. Next, discover your gifts. If you do not have a good handle on your skills and talents, you need to figure out what your gifts are. Take a personality profile such as DISC or Myers-Briggs, which we did recently. Interview positive friends and family members to see where they think you shine. Reflect on past successes. If you're going to focus your thinking in your areas of strength, you need to know what they are. What are the strengths in your life that you need to focus upon? What are your skills and talents? If you are unsure about your gifts, go online and take a DISC or Myers-Briggs test. I, for the record... M, according to the most recent results, ENTP, and I was 3% over the line for T on ENTP, which is thinking. Otherwise, I would have been ENFP, which would be feeling. So extrovert, intuitive, thinking or feeling, perceiving. I was an ENFJ with a 1% on the J. So that would be, I would also be an ENFP. 
as an option. So I think it's interesting that because we varied so little on one of the categories, if we looked at the other one, we were the same thing. I found that very interesting. Um, I love those kind of qu- those kind of quizzes and things to find out about your personality. And it was we had a lot of fun reading about like our personality traits and like certain characteristics that we as these particular personalities are supposed to have. And both of us were laughing because they were so close in accuracy. Um, as for like what I need to break away from, that's tough. I guess. I mean, I guess where the biggest thing is, um, where I have the most room for growth is in the idea or confidence that I can achieve it. I think that's the biggest thing is that it's okay to be a big picture thinker. It's okay to take these steps to get to where the big picture is. Um, It's okay to make mistakes and, you know, have failures fail often and fail well kind of situations where then you learn from it. Um, There was something I was thinking about while you were reading it and I can't recall at the moment. Discover your gifts. Give attention to the areas that bear fruit. Mm, Nope, but I'm going to hand this back to you while I read it and see if maybe I can uh, figure it out. So what strengths, what was the prompt again? What are the strengths in your life that you need to focus upon? What are your skills and talents? I would love to do anything in voice work. If you know anything that can develop my abilities in voice work, as well as line dance, as well as space, then please send me an email at linedancepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any opportunities there that promise huge fruit, big juicy mangoes of some kind, then let me know. Uh, We also, both of us, work on things like form and technique and uh, how to instruct in a way that people understand and how to choreograph in a way that flows well, that people enjoy dancing. So those are things that we have focused on at varying times in alternation. And I think our skills and talents seem to lean hard toward whatever we individually do. I like a good fast pace and lots of fun in my lessons. And you also go for fun and clarity. And we're all the same here. Um, You know, I might be up here on stage, but, you know, we're all dancers. Did you remember what you were thinking about? A little bit. Um, I was thinking about the the 80-20 thing, about how um, give 80% of your efforts to the top 20% percent of the priorities you have and I think that's very important um, in the sense of although that sounds out of balance (laughs) it isn't at the same time Um, I think it's very important to know like what you want as an individual versus um, the people that it's going to affect you around around you as well as stuff like your health and finances I mean obviously If money was made on trees, you know, we would be going everywhere and doing everything we possibly could and not having to worry about anything, but we still have bills to pay. So we have to make smart decisions that still allow us to go to these places and dance. And, you know, like I said, we were even looking at um, creating a class over the summer 
um, just so that we have another thing that we can do dance related wise, teaching, dancing, and hopefully potentially also earning a little bit of an income through that course uh, would be nice. But it's one of those things where it's like that's one other opportunity that we're looking at taking kind of situation because a priority is dance. The next step is being able to afford dance, you know, kind of situation. Um, Not neglecting your relationships with your family and your friends and that kind of situation is very important. And it can be very difficult um, when you become so wrapped up in what makes you happy. It's very easy to forget those everyone around you um because life just kind of takes its own course so with that 80 to 20 you know take that moment and call your friend call your family member and just be like hey you know I, I know I'm on the run I know that I'm like in between everything right now and I have like 10 minutes till I get to work but I just wanted to let you know that I was thinking about you and I hope all is well wanted to check in you know and they know that you you've taken the effort. Yeah, you don't have a whole lot of time, you know, but at least you thought about them enough to make that effort. Um, Another thing, you know, is to set up the time in which you guys can maybe experience something together that you're both passionate about. So, you know, to make sure you have more of a a well-rounded balance kind of life. Um, Fortunately for us, we have a lot of amazing friends and family through line dance. So we're able to see a lot of the people we care most about pretty regularly. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people here in our everyday lives that deserve that same kind of excitement when we see them. Last one for today. And I love it because it's a huge question and there's no way we'd have enough time to answer it. So we have an out. Day 30. You will become as small as your controlling desire, as great as your dominant aspiration. If Oh, this is James Allen. If you want to achieve great things, you also need to focus your thinking on developing your dream. One wit said, too many minds are like plankton, a small sea plant that goes wherever the current takes it. If you're not sure of your dream, use your focused thinking time to help you discover it. If your thinking has returned to a particular area time after time, you may be able to discover your dream there. Give it more focused time and see what happens. Once you find your dream, move forward without second guessing. Take the advice of Satchel Paige. Don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. The younger you are, the more likely you will give your attention to many things. That's okay, because if you're young and you're still getting to know yourself, your strength... mm, Because if you're young, you're still getting to know yourself, your strengths and weaknesses. If you focus your thinking on only one thing and your aspirations change, you've wasted your best mental energy. As you get older and more experienced, the need to focus becomes more critical. The farther and higher you go, the more focused you can be and need to be. Who do you desire to be and what do you desire to do with your life? Describe your dream. If you have not discovered it, schedule daily time to focus in on it until you know. A.K.A. What do you want to be when you grow Grow up? up. I want to be Joe. (laughs) No, um. (laughs) I want to be Rachel. I don't know how that's going to (laughs) work. Aren't we a pair? Um, Yeah, no, that's 
that's very important is to have any inkling as to what you want to do with your life other than just generally be happy and be able to afford to be happy. Um, that's where I think being a beginner frequently helps because if you try something new, you might find that that is actually something that makes you extremely happy and something you're good at or can be very good at that could support your lifestyle choices. Um, so I think that's really, really important is to be a beginner as many times as you can. Also, I should clarify. Uh, I think what I would most want to emulate about Rachel is her ability to seemingly do everything. This doesn't necessarily mean I personally want to go into solo line competition or take up realty, but just her ability to confidently give something a good solid shot and then look like she's been doing it for years, which in dance cases she actually has been. Uh, that is something that I, I would want to be able to do as I've described, even just today, you know, I want to be ready for anything. And she's done, you know, professional DVDs. Uh, she's, currently doing this thing on Vimeo with um, the tutorial videos that you can rent or purchase. Uh, she's toured all over the place. She's collaborated with people. She's choreographed to so many different genres of music at various difficulty levels or complexity levels, I should say. Um, she's been MC. She's been judge. Uh, I think the only thing I haven't seen her do is DJ. And she even hosts her own event because she has socials every a few months. So there the DJ. I guess so. I wonder, yeah, if she doesn't have anybody else behind the laptop, then maybe she just does it all herself. So anyways, yeah, basically long and the short of it, Rachel's amazing. And she is invaluable at any, any dance-related function she goes to. I would want to similarly be available to do anything that is needed and do it somewhat well uh, while still keeping the priority on everybody having a great time while they're there. I would never want to be so driven on you know, by running around and, and checking off all my boxes of what I accomplished that other people are feeling neglected or not attended to because really you know, uh, their experience is, is the priority in, in that kind of a major social event situation. I agree. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Okie dokie. Well, the time is now about 3.04, 3.05 Pacific time, and we are going to head to Sunrise Assisted Living in Petaluma to do a combination of singing the classics, uh, a lot of Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra type crooning style songs, as well as the classic country, and uh, you know Hank Williams, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers kind of music, some Johnny Cash, really just covering everything that they can sing along to, and then covering the other half of that hour with line dances. And we've been doing this the last couple of weeks. I think we've got a, a good steady flow going. Uh, folks are getting the hang of swinging thing and sugar and rock and shaw and various others we've brought in. Um, so hopefully we can bring them something new and interesting today as well as develop the knowledge that they have already built over these last couple of weeks. You excited? I'm excited. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to tonight. Yay. Oh, and then we have Hot Monk after that, where we'll be teaching all kinds of things for probably up to about high improver level. Really give them a, give them a push this evening. Thank you once again for tuning in this week to Line Dance Podcast 
on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. Until next time, we will see you on the dance floor. floor.